0: The scripture reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so that's our verse for this morning. A uh, quick recap from last week. Um, actually, first I need a quick disclaimer. If you guys in the sermon see me doing a little bit of this, a little bit of this, it's because I'm passing a kidney stone and it hurts. <laughs> all right, so, all right, now I'm good, but I've got some some medicine up here in case things start to go south. So pray for me. <laughs> Uh, Real quick, so recap from last week, uh, we looked at a foundational verse, a verse about Scripture itself that showed us that Scripture is God-breathed, it's our final authority, and that Scripture should change us by teaching us by developing us deep convictions, by correcting us, and by making us like Jesus. Uh, my challenge for us in this sermon series is to memorize, we're looking at one verse each week, 10 verses that every Christian should know, uh, and to memorize them. To, for, because when you learn things by heart, they change you, but also you have the ability to recall that verse uh, in the days ahead when you might need it. And so reciting it, uh, so, so doing that, I think, is helpful. So my challenge has been, at the beginning of each sermon, we're going to recite last week's, and I'm not going to help you. I'm going to start you, but I'm not going to help you. All right. So, uh, last week's Second uh, Timothy three sixteen. It's like is that first or second? Second Timothy three sixteen. Ready? For all scripture, y'all got too. Much. I said ESV. We got KJV. Nathan over here. All right, we're going to do it a little bit together. For all scripture. Is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for, uh, for, and for training in righteousness. All right, next week y'all better be on this one a little better. Sure, uh, for sure. You want me to? For all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. Reproof, correction, and turn into righteousness. <laughs> Called out. <laughs> All right, so this week, First Peter 2.9, why this verse? Because this verse speaks so clearly to our identity in Christ, um, and we really today, I think, have a crisis of identity in our culture, and so I think we need to be reminded again and again and again what our true identity is. You know, we see this crisis of identity played out, like, in tons of movies and, and stories. For example, uh, just, you know, a couple weeks ago, The Little Mermaid live action came out, which is a story about this mermaid who feels like she doesn't belong, right? She doesn't know who she is, and so what does she do? She, she collects all of these things from the overworld, from the dry land that have been dropped into the ocean. But she says when she sings about it that it's not enough. She wants more. She thinks if she only could live where the people are, right? I want to be where the people are, right? Then she would be complete. She would discover her identity, who she really is. And the reason, there are so many movies and stories really have that, that archetype, that kind of storyline going in them. And the reason is, it's because it is the problem that all of us face. Who am I? Where do I belong? What's my identity? Right? And we see this so obviously played out in our young people, uh, like throughout the generations, right? It's nothing new. But in our young people, we see a desperation to find themselves, to discover who they are. And it's a, they're not here this morning. You know, there's other young ones, but our youth aren't here. They're not Pray for them. Uh, but, the, you know, they're looking to discover who they are. And that gets expressed through them changing their appearance, through buying new clothes and new styles, trying to fit into new groups, new friend groups. They throw themselves into new hobbies, new music, and now today they're going even so far as to question their uh, gender or sexual orientation to try to figure out who am I, where am I accepted, where do I belong. But the problem of identity is not only in young people, but it's something even adults struggle with. We see it played out in so many different kinds of ways. We see it played out in the need to buy newer things, bigger things, shinier things, or you're 40 years old and you're still partying like you're in college because you're trying to find something you've lost. We see it through the unflinching devotion in some cause or movement or political party. We see it when people jump from relationship to relationship or when they think so desperate, man, if I could just finally have kids, then I'd be happy, then I'd be Somebody and their identity is wrapped up in these sorts of things. You see, our identity, who we are, is something that we all desperately want and need the answer to. And the amazing thing is, once we know the answer, once we have settled the question of who we are, where we belong, we find contentment and peace and joy and the sense of settledness, right? And security. Which is why every movie that portrays this sort of need for self-discovery and self, you know, realizing your identity ends with them finally figuring out who they are, where they belong, and they live happily ever after. Because that's what we all want. And so the question this morning is, who are you? Who are you? What is your identity? Where do you belong? There are lots of verses in the Bible we could point to that speak to our identity and to be sure our identity is in Christ and that. I think has many levels to it, but I think 1 Peter 2.9, I think is a great starting place and summary to remind us of who we are so that we too can be settled in our spirit and live happily in this world. So 1 Peter 2.9 starts out, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So who are you? Well, first, let me be clear. This verse is speaking to a particular group of people. Notice how it begins. But you, not everyone, but you. Well, who is the you he is talking to? He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to Christians. This identity that he's about to unravel is for those who have given their whole lives to Jesus, to this specific group, right? But you. It's speaking to those who have changed lives, been made new by Jesus, right? Not for everyone, for those who have come to Christ. So what is the identity that you, as a follower of Jesus, now have? I want you to see from this one verse five things that you are, five things that your identity is built on. Certainly there's more than this throughout the Bible, but this is a good foundation, five things that build up your identity. And then I want us to see that it results in one thing in this verse, Certainly it results in many other things, but in this verse we see it results in one particular thing. You see, your identity is never what you do. Your identity isn't what you do. It's not your activity. Your identity is who you are. What you do flows out of your identity, right? You How you express yourself, what you do, flows out of who you think you are. And what I want you to see is that who we are in Christ results And particular thing, one thing in this in this passage. So we don't work hard to change ourselves. We don't work hard to 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 uh, build this new existence. But rather, we have been granted it by grace in Christ—an identity that changes our lives. So five things. Number one, we belong to a new race. We belong to a new race. Parts of part. You know, the the verse starts out, but you are a chosen race. Parts of Israel's identity in the Old Testament was their ethnicity. They weren't allowed to marry out people outside of the nation of Israel because they were a chosen race. They were God's people and they could not muddy that bloodline. And we see that, that, uh, that one of the things that has always divided people for as long as there has been time is that we've been divided over race. We've been divided over ethnicity. You, talk about, you can talk about the Jews and the Gentiles from the Bible times. You can talk about Jews and Germans. You can talk about black and white. You can talk about so many other different race kind of uh, divisions uh, throughout, uh, and animosities throughout history and throughout the world. The Old Testament uh, taught that God's people were of a particular race. But now Jesus, through his blood, is making a whole new race of people for himself. That is not just made up of the Jewish people. But this new race is, has nothing to do with skin color uh, because this race is, compromised, is, is is composed of every skin color. It is a spiritual race defined not by color or culture, but by creed. This spiritual race that Jesus is making is defined not by color or culture but by creed. The race is defined by allegiance to Jesus. Jesus is our creed. It's what we believe. You see, this affects your identity because you are not defined any longer by your skin color, by your ethnicity. You belong to a new race. You should not find your identity or, quote, unquote, your people within a certain ethnic group or group of people that share the same skin color or same same culture or same uh, place you hail from. That is not who you are anymore. You belong to a new race. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest tragedies, I think, ever is that on Sunday mornings, it is the most segregated hour of the week. And it should be precisely the opposite. Our churches should be a reflection of heaven. They should be a reflection of new creation. They should be a reflection of what is to come, of what it means to be a part of the family and the kingdom of God, which means it should be reflective of every uh, of this new race. It should be reflective of this new race, which is made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Our new family, our people, uh, we should in this place should be people who were as white as Casper and as dark as night and everything in between. And those should be our people. Whether they speak English, Spanish, Chinese, or something else, they are our family. We belong to this new race made up of us and them. We can derive a lot of our identity from the culture of our racial group, but we should not see that as our identity. We should instead reflect the culture of our new race. He doesn't just say we're a new race. There's an important adjective before it, the word chosen. And and So what's that mean? Well, I think it's helpful to look at the context of when God told Israel that they were his chosen race. So we're going to go back. Peter's picking up on this same idea. Deuteronomy chapter 7, he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession." The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your ancestors that brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh the king of Egypt. God did not choose Israel because they were the biggest, mightiest, coolest nation. He chose them simply because he loved them. And it was precisely their lack of being impressive and great and mighty and numerous that enabled them to see that God's love for them was not based on how great or mighty or big or cool they were, but simply because he chose to love them. Your identity as the people of God, belonging to this new race of people, is the type of identity that can sustain you. Because it is not one you earned. It is not one that you have to keep. It is not one that you have to maintain appearances. It is is yours not by right. It is not yours by right or by merit, but it is yours by grace. And so you can never lose it. We fellow followers of Christ are a new chosen race. And we should live out the culture of this new chosen race, a culture of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and generosity and on and on. So we're a chosen race, but second, he says we are a royal priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. Well, what does that mean? It means we have been made royalty and given priestly access to God. We've been made royalty and given priestly access to God. So first, what do we mean by royalty? Do we mean that by royalty royalty, that you have the same status as the the great Queen Elizabeth who just passed away? Or the same status as her son who now reigns? Does by royalty here mean that we are on par with her? On the same status as her? No. No, uh, we won't be that kind of royalty. See, that is like comparing t-ball players to MLB players. It's not even in the same ballpark. The royalty of the English monarch is so insignificant to the royalty that you have been made into. Because you have been adopted into the family of God, you have been made children of God. And as Romans 8 says, if you are children of God, then you are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You see, you, if you are in Christ, have now been made a prince or a princess in the royal family of God. An heir to the throne. You know, sometimes we struggle to know who we are, where we belong, if we matter. Well, you mattered enough to the God of the universe that he did more than just forgive you, more than just pardon you, more than just wipe away your sins and bring you up to heaven, but rather he brought you into the royal family to give you a seat at the table, to give you his name, Christian, little Christ. And you know how sometimes... When a prince or a princess uh, marries someone in the, in, the, in the monarchy, the current king or queen will give them a new title if they weren't royalty already. Maybe they'll make them a duke or make them a, a, a duchess. There's different titles. Sometimes they kind of get the status of queen, but it's like a lesser form of queen. I don't really know how that works. But they get these titles. But they're not usually like like if the king marries somebody, she's not the queen. You know, she's like little queen or whatever. God doesn't do that. God does not do that. He takes us, ones who were once rebels, to his kingdom, and he makes us heirs to the throne. Outsiders, now heirs. When you think that you don't have value, it's because you have failed to see yourself in the light of what God has given you. You have failed to see what God has really done in your life. And by virtue of coming into his family, not only are we royalty or priests, You see, in the Old Testament, it was only the priests who could really truly worship God. It was only the priests because they were the only ones who could make the sacrifices. They were the only ones who could go into the Holy of Holies and be in the actual presence of God. Everyone else was really knowing God from a distance, from an outstretched hand. And they had to know God through an intermediary, through the priest. But no more. Being a royal priest means that we have unfettered access to God. That means you don't have to get in line. It means you don't have to use a go-between. Instead, you have access like a child has access to his father. When your child comes and wakes you up in the middle of the night because they had a bad dream or because they can't sleep or because they're sick, you with love in your heart, get up even though you're exhausted and you hold them close, you comfort them, you tuck them back in, you get them a glass of water, you serve them and love them. And we in the middle of the night, anytime we want, have access to the king of the universe and with the love in his heart, he hears us and holds us and fixes our problems. Think about it this way. Where did priests work in the Old Testament? They worked in the temple, right? And the temple was where God was. Well, where is the temple now? You are the temple. You are the temple and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are the temple. Hence, you are a priest. One who can worship God and has access to God anytime you want because he's with you wherever you go. So, Your identity is both belonging to this special new race that God has made of people, not based on color or culture, but on creed. And now you've been made royalty and priests to God. So you have access in his family. But then he says, we are a holy nation. A holy nation. We have a new home and a new way of life. We have a new home and a new way of life. You see, while we are a new race of people, we need somewhere to belong. We need somewhere to live. We need a place to call home. And that is coming. The kingdom of Christ is coming. And one day we'll take over every nation that currently exists and all that will be left is the kingdom of Christ, our home. Augustine, back in about 400 A.D., famously wrote a book called The City of God where he talks about how we live right now as in the city of man. In, in different nations across the globe, we, we live in the city of man, but he says that our true citizenship belongs to the city of God, a city that exists in heaven and is coming to earth. And while it is great to be patriotic, and while it is great to love our country and to love the freedoms it provides for us, while it is good to serve the cause of freedom, And justice and liberty for all, while that is a good thing, this nation is not our home. It is not our true nation. And it does not deserve our ultimate allegiance. No nation could. Because truly one day, if America survives long enough, and who knows if it will, when Jesus brings his kingdom, America will be swallowed up in the kingdom of Christ. So let us be careful that while we serve our country, to not build our identity on citizenship to this or any other country. Because our true citizenship belongs to a different nation altogether. And if it comes between serving this one and serving the kingdom of Christ, it is the kingdom that always wins out. Your identity is not built on American nationalistic pride, but on pride in your citizenship and in the eternal kingdom of Christ. But also notice the adjective. It's not just that we belong to a new nation, we belong to a holy nation. Holy means set apart, to live in a righteous way, to live in a way that you are different from everyone else around you. The kingdom that Jesus is bringing comes with its own set of ethics. It comes with its own set of values. It comes with its own culture. And they do not align with the values and cultures and ethics of this world and of the kingdoms of this world the nations of this world. And so as we are members of that future kingdom that is coming, we should live by the ethics and values and cultures of that kingdom, of those values of our true home. You see when the world looks at us, do they see people that are no different than them who merely embody American values or do they see people who have who think different? Who have different priorities, who have a different set of values, who have a different set of ethics, and who follow a seemingly different culture. And do they look at you and they think, man, where are you from? Because you don't seem to be from around here. And we can tell them, this world is not our home. In the same way that it is hard to hear someone else's accent. or to hear your own accent until you hear it in contrast with someone else's. It can also be hard to spot culture until you see it contrasted with other cultures. You may not realize it, but we have a new culture all of our own. A culture that loves its enemies. A culture that serves its neighbors. A culture that is radical in generosity. A culture that is unwavering in its devotion to its king. A culture that loves its enemies a culture that serves a king and a kingdom that is not of this world, and so much more. Our identity is bound up in this rich culture, in these rich values, in this citizenship of a kingdom that is not of this world, but will one day break into this world and take over. You see, we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, and then we are a people for his own possession, number four. Our value is seen through the one who purchased us for his own possession. Our value is seen through the, through the one who's purchased us. You see, God owns everything, right? He made everything, owns everything, everything belongs to him. He has the right to do with anything, whatever he wants to because it is all his already anyway. But there is something about us, there's something about humanity, there's something about people who have been created in his image, the crown jewel of his creation, the one that he looked at and he said it is very good, that, is certain, that there's something different about us, something that makes him want to possess us in a different way than he already does because we are his creation. He wants a relationship that is deeper than creator and created. He wants a relationship that is more akin to husband and spouse or father and child. He wants to love us and us love him in return. And so he purchases us through the blood of Christ so that we might have the choice to come back to him. Michael Jordan's jersey, uh, one of his all-star jerseys, was recently sold. And it sold for $10 million. It sold for that. Not because the fabric and the print uh, and the sweat stains were worth that much in and of themselves. It was not, uh, the, the fabric and in, in the, in the printing was only probably worth 50 bucks. But its value was established by the one who had possessed it. The one who had owned it. And whenever you are tempted to think that you are not valuable, remember the one who paid way more than 10 million dollars. For you, The one who paid with heavenly blood to secure you. You see, your worth is bound up in the God who loves you and purchased you to be his own possession to whom we belong to forever. Number five, we have had our eyes opened. We have had our eyes opened. He says we were called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We were called out of darkness and into marvelous light. You see, we were a people who were in darkness. Every one of us were in darkness, which on the one hand could mean like, like sinful, evil, bad. Like, and That's probably true, but I, but I think more so that what he's trying to communicate here is ignorance. When you're in the dark, you're blind. When you're in the dark, you're ignorant. When you're in the dark, you don't know anything. And before Jesus came into our lives, we knew nothing of beauty. Before Jesus came into our lives, we knew nothing of grace. We knew nothing about God. We were living hopeless in ignorance, just living our lives headed for destruction. But God called us, He initiated a plan of salvation that called us out of darkness, out of ignorance. Out of the void of not being able to see, out of blindness, out of not being able to understand reality and the world and spiritual things. And he called us into light, into revelation, into being able to see. He saved us and rescued us all, it's from sin and from hell, yes. But he also opened our eyes to see reality, to know what we see him, to see beauty to know when through him we can see his majesty, to see grace. Once once you've known him, once your eyes have been opened by him and that you are in the light, everything else grows strangely dim. Once you know Jesus, everything else pales in comparison. Once you know him, once you see him for the first time, everything changes. It is an experience only someone who has come to know Christ can describe to you. How before Christ they could see, but yet they were so blind. It's so weird. I could see the world. I lived in the world. I thought I understood the world, but I was so blind to it. Once Jesus opened my eyes, the world finally fit in a proper perspective. And I could see things I never saw before. I could see darkness I never saw before. I could see beauty I never saw before. I saw the depths and the wonders of creation and of God and of people that you could never see before. It's like you begin to uh, to think in ways and see in ways and feel in ways and understand things you could not before. You love in a way you could not before. One amazing thing about our identity is that we get to see the world, see the Lord, see reality as it really is, while everyone else is in the dark. Well, everyone else, it's like they're living in the matrix. They only uh, see and hear and know the limits of what fallen humanity can see and hear and know. They are blind and they have no idea what they're missing because they've not experienced the real world. And this great gift was given to you by one who loves you. And you've been rescued and brought into this light. The only way that I really can think to describe it is: Have you seen those videos where you'll you'll see a, a three or four year old kid who was born uh, deaf, not able to hear, and they've done some sort of you know surgery or something, or put a cochlear implant on them, and they 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 flip it on for the first time, they're sitting there in the in the doctor's office, and they they flip the switch, and uh, Mama says the the boy's name, the kid's name, and the look on the little kid's face. like, Just a complete shock to hear his mother say his name for the first time, to hear words, to hear sound for the first time. It is an immediate shock and disbelief. And what is that? And what is happening? And then, usually, instant tears. They are experiencing something that they never knew existed the ability to hear. And once you have that, you would never willingly give it up. We are like that. We were living our lives with the lights turned off. We were living in the dark where everything was in grayscale. But Jesus has turned the lights on. And now we truly see. And we could never go back. So, in this one verse alone, we have learned five things about our identity that our identity is not based on what we do, on how uh, we were born. It's not based on our social status. It's not based on our money or our stuff. It is based on how we are rooted in Jesus. And it's not something we have by right but by grace. We see that in Jesus we become a new race. That in Jesus we become a royal priest. In Jesus we become a new nation. In Jesus we know that our value is purchased by his blood. And in Jesus we truly see for the first time. And that's just one verse. But we do see an outworking, a result of these things. How this identity really should spill over in our lives. And he says we should proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We proclaim the excellencies. You see, when we are in wonder at Jesus, we can't help but proclaim him. The word excellencies is not wrong, but I think could be translated a little more helpful for us, and it it can also be translated with the word wonder, which helps me understand a bit more, I think. You see, when you are in awe of something, when you wonder at something, right, you just stand in, in, in amazement at it, right, you can't help but talk about it. Whether, you know, you're in wonder at some news, TV show, or movie you've been watching, or you're in wonder at your at your football team or sports team, or you wonder at your kids and how awesome they are, and you're full of awe about that. Whatever, whatever you're into, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you think is awesome, full of awe. You tell others about it. You can't help it. You don't even have to try. You don't have to work up the courage and go, man, I really want to talk to to my buddy about how the Panthers are going to be good this year because they got a new quarterback, but I, I'm a little nervous about it. You know, they might reject my quarterback. I don't know. You know, well, we don't do that. We just go and say, hey man, we drafted the first guy overall and we're going to beat the Bengals this year. Sorry, we don't even play the Bengals. But when we know Jesus, we truly know him, and we've had our eyes open when, you're, when your life has been changed by him. And even when that happened 50 years ago, when you're still spending time with him, growing in him, and you stand in awe and wonder of him, you will naturally tell people about him. And when we do not naturally just gush about Jesus, what does it say about us? When we can naturally gush about our kids and about our sports team and about whatever else is going on in our life, what does it say about us? It says we have an identity problem. It says that there is a war happening over our hearts, over our affections over what is more beautiful, over what is more real, over what is more important, over what is more majestic. And often we are, uh, we are uh, letting these fleeting promises of the world win. We don't easily talk to others about Jesus. We are more enamored by football and by our kids and by TV and by other things than we are with Jesus, and we've got to fix that. That's an all-of-us problem. We've got to fix that. And we fix it by remembering who we are. And the way we do that is by spending time with Jesus and his word and isolation in prayer and meditation and reflection and biblical community. And if we do not do those things and remind ourselves of the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, if we don't wonder at his beauty and his majesty, then we will be easily captivated by the next newest shiny sparkling thing. We'll be like that fish in in Finding Nemo. Shiny! Bubbles! Ooh, and we will go from thing to thing trying to fill this void in our heart, trying to build an identity on something else and we'll bounce around to all these different things while the one true identity, the one thing that can sustain us, the one thing that we can actually build our life upon is sitting right and we take it for granted. But once we embrace it and lean into it and know it and let it change us, we will proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light as naturally as we talk about whatever else it is in our life that we're excited about. So let's open our eyes every day and behold the wonder of our great God. And when we do, our identity will be rooted in him. And we won't be shaken. We won't be shaken by false identities. We will find ourselves easily and effortlessly and joyfully talking to lost people about our Jesus. Because man, Isn't he excellent? Isn't he wonderful? And man, I was in darkness and now I see. And guys, if you could just see like I see, we'll want to tell people that. Open your eyes and see. We'll want to tell people, once you see beauty like him, you can't help but tell people. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this word, this, this verse this morning. One that we can write on our hearts, memorize, to remind us in, in days of trouble, in days of, uh, that are difficult, in days where we uh, feel lost, feel like we don't belong, feel like we don't know who we are. But you've given us a, a, a way to remind ourselves that we are a new race, a chosen race of, that you've made. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy priesthood nation. We are a people that you've possessed and bought and purchased by your own blood. And we are a people that you, that were in darkness and blind and ignorant. You've brought us to, to the light, to see. This is who we are. We have a family that we belong to. We have a home. We've been made royalty. We have access to the God of the universe. We're holy. We're righteous. We're chosen. This is who I am. I don't need anything else in the world to try to define me because God has defined me. So God, give us the security that is bound up in knowing these truths. That we are who you say we are. Children of God. Heirs to a throne, a new race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his own possession, who have called, you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And if you're not here, if you're here this morning, and these things are not true of you, they're not true of you because you've not believed in the creed. You've not believed in the Jesus who has made these things possible by his death and by his resurrection through his blood, then what are you waiting for? Stop living in darkness. Stop living in blindness. And come have your eyes opened and see the world and be changed forever by him and be welcomed into the family of God. If that's you this morning and you want to know what it's like to truly see, I challenge you. I'm going to stand up here to the left when we sing this song. You come up and you say, Brent, I don't know much about Jesus, but I want my eyes to see. I want to taste and see if he really is good. Come take them for a test drive. I promise you'll you'll buy them. If you're here this morning and you struggle with identity, you struggle with who you are, where you belong, then I'd love the chance to pray with you and, re- and remind you who you are. You're not what the world says you are. You're not what the voices in your head say you are. You are who God says you are. If you need to pray this morning, I'd love to do that with you. If you need to stand and sing, let's do that together. God, give us the strength to respond how we need. We love you in Christ and we pray all those people said. Let's stand together.